0: welcome to fruiting body podcast with your host brendan and today we have an absolute legend of a guest it is blue from the crypto jungle and he's going to tell you everything you need to know of what's going on in this fucking crazy industry um you can check him out on youtube he has his own channel called crypto jungle we'll leave some description uh some links in the description um basically again how it works on the fruiting body podcast we're going to tell quickly his story today we want to focus on crypto and i personally have my own questions as well uh Oh, yeah. Don't forget to like, subscribe, smash all those bells, do that fun stuff. I always forget to say that. Oh, and we are a medicinal mushroom company. We will be coming out with products. Hans, when are we doing that? I don't know. I don't know Eventually. We've been it. talking about it for about a year, but this time it's coming. I just got some stuff to do. We'll get it going. So without further ado, let's welcome Baloo to the podcast. Oh, Baloo, thanks for joining us.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks here for having me.
0: So my jinx was I've never done two takes on the intro. Just go for it.
1: Yeah, why not?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it's the coffee half the time. It gets me all fired up. But um <laughs> so we're going to jump quickly into this in the sense that usually on this podcast, we focus more on like the, the backstory of the, uh, the guests and essentially what did they do before Phuket? Why did they come to Phuket? What are they doing here? And what is next for them? But on this podcast today, I really want to focus on what's going on in the crypto market and kind of to kick it back to the audience. If you're watching this podcast or listening to it on Spotify, Apple Tunes, whatever, we're only going to scratch the surface on most of the crypto talk topics. So, for example, we'll be talking about what's going on in Bitcoin, what's going on in the crypto space, the macro issues, uh, altcoins, DeFi, a little bit of NFTs, the metaverse and uh that's what comes to the top of my head so
1: no big deal just everything
0: just every everything <laughs> but we're, we're gonna try our best. we're not gonna dive deep into to all those subjects because every one is its own podcast so just let us know in the comments listen to this podcast take notes if there's anything you would like us to further dive into we could do that on a future podcast but for now we're gonna kind of rapid fire and, and run through most of it but the main focus will be on the crypto space today, what's going on, and especially what's going on for Bitcoin. Uh, without further ado, here is Baloo. I guess I'm rhyming now, but um, uh, kick it away. Let us know about your backstory. Where did you come from? Um, what have you been doing for, you know, the past 10 years, essentially, and how did you get into the crypto space, and what brought you here?
1: Well, it's actually kind of funny. Um, my origin story is, is a pretty far departure from um, crypto. Uh, I actually come from a forestry background. I am an urban forester or a arborist uh, originally from Canada. And uh, I got into crypto really by accident. Um, I moved with you know without incriminating myself too much. Uh, I got uh, a job in a country which I was not uh, particularly uh, fully endorsed to be authorized for work yet. And uh, the individual who wanted to employ me, his right-hand man was uh, really into crypto. And uh, when the job offer was made, they decided that the best way would be to pay me with Bitcoin. Um, so I entered into the crypto space uh, working for crypto, which is uh, you know, kind of unique. There's not a ton of opportunities out there to work for crypto. And, uh, yeah, so I was climbing trees and cutting branches working for Bitcoin. What year was that? That was in 2016.
0: Okay. So, uh, kind of coming through one of the second, third cycles. It was basically, yeah, the kind of the,
1: the, the beginning of, of kind of the parabolic trend of 2017.
0: Yeah. That trend that then ran up to the all time high of 20,000. So, okay. Um, I should have entered there, but I mean, we all have that story. Yeah. Okay. Um, Do you want to share a little bit about that backstory of where your travels were before leading you to Phuket? Are you able to talk about that? Again, we're going to be a bit, I'll be careful with my questions. I don't, whatever you want to reveal and you don't want to reveal, feel free. Yeah.
1: Well, basically, you know, I was living in this country for a while and I've always kind of romanticized with the idea of uh, bringing my work uh, online to some capacity which was kind of you know hard to do for somebody who is working a labor field you know it's hard to uh have an online business cutting trees um but uh yeah i saw an opportunity with bitcoin through trading and um you know i realized that uh very early it was a bull market but you know i'd get paid on friday and if i didn't cash out till monday i'd make like 100 bucks So i was like all right well let's let's learn a little bit about uh how this market works, how these charts work, how TA works and uh, found myself on the trading side of things. Um, And then realized that, you know, I was able to uh, pull profits out of the market and my background as a tree climber, as an arborist was actually in the training field as well. So I have a lot of uh, training in adult education. And so I combined uh, both of those and I now teach um, you know, young, aspiring, new-to-the-field traders how to uh, analyze charts and uh, analyze price cycles and position themselves alongside a, a favorable trend so that they can make some money.
0: Yeah, I've watched a, a few of your videos, and for anyone out there that's going to go to the crypto uh, crypto jungle, um, it's more like a Twitch YouTube stream type of um, a format. Uh, it's very to the point in your face. There's none of this YouTube moon YouTuber bullshit. And um, let, let's jump right into that. And we, um, sorry, let, let me take a step back now. You're, you're, you're getting into the Bitcoin market at this point. I've always wondered, and most people have that story of what was that milestone moment for you where, you know, Bitcoin became a reality.
1: When was, I orange pilled. Yes. Um, <laughs> basically, I think I was orange pilled when I realized how easy or just coming to the realization, you know, that I'm from Canada and cross border remittances are kind of a really good and easy application of crypto. So I was able to transfer funds to and from Canada, cross borders without permission, without a third party. And I was just like, that was enough for me. This is, this is valuable technology. If I can move Assets across a border that kind of really breaks down a lot of the regulations that we have currently. Like, for example, if you were to enter into the United States or into Canada, uh, you need to declare uh, any assets exceeding $10,000. So, if you are to leave the country or if you are to enter a country with more than $10,000 worth of assets, you have to declare that because, you know, this is the way for countries to control the capital that exists inside of their country. Um, and with Bitcoin, you can move a trillion dollars in your brain. So that was kind of the big moment for me where it's just like, this is highly, highly, highly disrupt, disruptive technology. And
0: did you pivot from your your, your your last job in forestry and kind of go full-time into Bitcoin? Was there a, a moment in time when that occurred and you decided, I can teach this, I can pursue that? And when did that happen?
1: Um... Yeah, uh, it was a slow transition. I was kind of, it was a side hustle to begin with. And then when the side hustle was enough to, you know, be something that could sustain me, uh, especially in other countries like Mexico, Bali, uh, Thailand, you know, you don't need as much to live. So you can kind of leverage the uh, the dollar in those places. And uh, yeah, you know, it was a dream of myself and my wife. And Saw an opportunity and I went for it. So that's kind of how I ended up here.
0: Perfect. And, and like most digital nomads as well, um, you're easily able to to get up and to move to these countries like you know South America, Central America, Indonesia, or or even uh, Phuket. Um, again, for doxing issues, we're not going to go too much more more into his backstory. And and also for anyone listening, we want to give you that you know meet bread and meat. We're going to really feed it into you and discuss what's actually going on and none of this moon YouTube bullshit. Let's talk about the state of cryptocurrency, but specifically today, which is, I think we're June 26th, 27th, something like that, 2022. What's going on in the market? Just talk about it from a whole and take that in any direction you want. So
1: um, my main method of analysis is the Wyckoff method. And The Wyckoff method really breaks down the booms and busts of any asset's price cycle. If fundamentals were in line with price, we would be going linearly up when things are good, like fundamentally good, and when fundamentals drop down, you would go linearly down. But because humans speculate and they like to place bets and they want to make money, we end up having more of a boom-bust cycle. So from a Wyckoff perspective, we are we've basically at our conclusion of, uh, of a distributional event, in my opinion. And uh, we need to go into some sort of accumulation phase for probably a year. You know, this is the part where people don't really want to hear mm-hmm. <laughs> what I think needs to happen in crypto. But ultimately, crypto is valuable. There's intrinsic value in crypto. And what needs to happen is you just need to clean the system. You need to clean the system, get rid of the speculators, get rid of the short-term mindset so that the value investors and those who really understand and believe in Bitcoin and crypto can accumulate their positions, which will ultimately reduce the available supply on the open market and allow for the next markup, also known as, uh, as a bull market. So we're in a bear market. We're in the down phase of a bear market. And I think we're getting close to the conclusion of the down phase of the bear market. So the next kind of phase is going to be the sideways phase of the bear market. Accumulation. Accumulation.
0: So let's lay that over so people can understand, let's say on the last cycle, and let's um, walk them through the Wyckoff method, Wyckoff theory. Essentially, if you were to overlay that theory onto the last cycle, essentially the accumulation, accumulation phase would have been after 2018, right up to 2020, You know, when uh, the markets crashed and we re-exploded. So could you kind of paint that picture of how you would apply that theory to that cycle?
1: Yeah, so pretty much every accumulation phase begins with a capitulation. So you'll have this uh, conclusion of the bull market. You'll have this point, this breaking point where the speculators give up. That's kind of the definition of capitulation. You throw your hands in the air, I give up, and you sell your positions. And then we flatline, and we kind of stay within a set range. Now, crypto is volatile, so that you know flatlining was between 3,000 and 14,000, which is you know, still a large range. But um, it's this, this level that, uh, you know, you're range bound in that condition for several years while the smart, savvy investors, the institutional investors, all of those other market participants can have time to accumulate the positions on any of the dips that present themselves when they show up. Um, that, uh, the Wyckoff method is, is kind of a very, it's a special method in TA. I'm not a fan of most TA because it, doesn't really lean on the fundamentals of human behavior. Like, for example, like a triangle breakout. What is a triangle? I mean, a, a triangle is a consolidation. It's the market trying to decide price. Uh, Fibonacci's, you know, no disrespect to anybody who trades Fibonacci's out there, but these are just magic lines based on some, you know, geometry or, or you know, some, some sacred geometry in, in nature. It doesn't really take into consideration supply and demand. Wyckoff is very different because it tracks supply and demand. There's two types of investors. There's the short-term mindset speculator, and then there's the value investor who is, you know, in it for the long run, understands the fundamentals, understand where the market is going. And, you know, that's basically dumb money and smart money. Um, Dumb money always sells their positions to smart money. Smart money Will always accumulate the lion's share of the available supply on the market. I hope I'm not getting too technical. No, no, I
0: I think that's (laughs) again. It's kind of an intermediate type of uh,
1: um, crypto podcast. So that no, I think that's so. When demand exceeds the available supply, and that's the key, the available supply on the open market, you get a bull market. So during the bear market, the smart, savvy investors that have a long time horizon, they're just chewing up the available supply that's on the available market. They're building for the next bull market. And when that, uh, you know, that that chewing up of the supply takes many years. And when it's complete, let's say the whales, the savvy investors, they might end up holding, you know, 80% of the supply. So then when the fundamentals shift or when the hype shifts or when the products, you know, new products come to market that get retail investors really, really excited you end up marking up the price and that's what causes a bull market and the bull market brings more participants and the more participants come in, they're buying at higher prices and they, you get this FOMO type uh, move, this FOMO culture, this, you know, wag me, we're all going to make it, let's fucking go stuff. Um, And that's just because the available supply is not available. Then the savvy investors who do believe in, in crypto and, and believe in the product uh, get to the point where it's just like, well, you know, we're over, we're, we're really overbought. So I'm going to lock in some of this. I'm going to diversify. I'm, I might be doing, you know, I, I'm, I have enough money to start a startup business. I'm going to create apps. I'm going to make crypto stronger. And they need capital, operation capital to do that. Or they just want to buy a boat and a house. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they end up flooding the market with supply. Retail can't hold it up. And then you get a bear market. And the cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. It's it's always repeated itself. This is not a new method. And it's
0: not just crypto. It's all markets.
1: It's all markets. Yeah, Anything yeah. where you have a publicly traded asset, you have these boom and bust cycles.
0: And that's why when everyone says, you know, crypto is going to zero. Well, again, we'll, we'll call it crypto in that sense. Sure. You know, at the end of the day, we're talking about Bitcoin and everything yeah. follows. Um, but everyone says it's going to zero. The rea- It's just more volatile. That's all it is. And we're in that, that that stage.
1: And it's highly speculative.
0: Highly speculative.
1: It's highly speculative. We often are selling vaporware in the crypto sector, which means that, you know, vaporware is, is software ideas that are profound, but in reality don't have user adoption. So because you don't have user adoption and because most of the market participants have this short-term mindset, I want to be a millionaire next year, um, when that doesn't happen, they just ditch positions. So because most of the demand comes from speculative demand, uh, when they change their mind on the time horizon, they sell. And, and you get 95%, 98% retracements in these assets because people just give up and they're like, oh, I'll pick it up later if there's apps and stuff to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that one part of the the Fib, uh, fib retracement, um, let's say uh, indicator, essentially, uh, that one's kind of been true on the macro level, like if we really zoom out, I mean Bitcoin's always gonna retrace maybe 80, 85 percent, and the altcoins fo- fo- follow by 90, even up towards to 98. And when it hits those points, fucking sell the house and buy. <laughs>
1: depending.
0: But, depending. We don't we don't know if alts are gonna go to zero. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, back to your point about uh, and we won't get we won't get too technical. As you came in in 2016, you're kind of coming into that bull market as it ran up in 2017. And I think by 2018, we kind of went down through that Wyckoff theory, if we were to apply it into an accumulation phase up until 2020. How did you do in that first cycle? Were you kind of.
1: Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I did much like everybody else did.
0: And before, and we'll keep that as a two-part question. How did you do there? How did you readjust, plan and strategize? And how have you done in this cycle?
1: I would say, you know, because I was thrown in at the beginning of a bull market in 2016, uh, it's it's pretty impossible to walk away, or it's pretty impossible to enter that market with any sort of skill set or plan. No plan, really, of selling because... I'm buying into this paradigm shift of humanity, and uh, I have no intention of sh- selling for the next 30 years. Uh, the reality is everybody else who's coming in coming in at that time has that same mindset. But the problem is there's people two cycles before them that have already been down that road and realized that the retracements are real, the retracements are deep, and uh, I'm not holding. So I lost a lot of money in uh, uh, 2018, 2019, and uh, the capitulation, you know, it was just... Did you
0: hold or did you sell?
1: I held. Okay, so you are so
0: you didn't... You, again, you don't lose until you sell, I guess, yeah. if we want to say that. <laughs>
1: but, okay. But it sure felt like a loss. Right. It feels like a loss, uh, especially when you're heavily exposed to altcoins. Uh, a 95% retracement is a loss. It feels... You go through the same emotions. It's almost... Yeah, it's... The emotions are the money killer here. And it's understanding that these things can really go quite deep and and really go far beyond what you could possibly expect um, that really traps people. You know, you're 90% down. doesn't mean you can't fall another 90%. And that's just unfathomable to somebody who's in their first cycle. Um, how I did this cycle, I did really well up until... Uh, Basically, May, the first macro top at 65K, I did really, really well because I was accumulating Bitcoin at, you know, 3K, 5K, 9K, 12K. And uh, I was able to sell basically right before the May capitulation. Um, And, you know, I I think it's like 65, 62. Well, no, 65 was the top. And I think I got out at 55. There was a big shakeout. Then there was a recovery. Alts went absolutely crazy. That was the all-time high in a lot of alts. And uh, I just made the decision based off of uh, sentiment on Twitter, sentiment on YouTube that, you know, we're probably at a top here and we're going to come down. We're on, we were on lower high watch with uh, Bitcoin. It printed a lower high. It broke down and it broke down in a very big way. Um, so I got out and uh, re-entered after we had a, a very small mid-cycle reaccumulation of about three months. And then it broke out at 40 And then rallied up to nearly 70. Uh, That was the bull trap. I got bull trapped on that. And I think a lot of people did, you know, even, you know, crypto OGs, uh, Bitcoin OGs, a lot of people got bull trapped on that because uh, it's very, well, we haven't seen it. There haven't been that many cycles, but we hadn't seen it in the past where a dead cat bounce made a new all time high. (laughs) So um, the volume that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I was able to see a lot of the uh, the factors that were playing into how that was a dead cat bounce after the fact. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I got bull trapped and I didn't get out of that position until basically 45. So, you know, the second part of that rally was uh, a wash and uh, from 45, I was shorting down to 30 and now I'm just cash. So I did all right. I did all right. Do
0: you now bring uh, like a strategy into play? Like for, I, okay. So I first got into trading in the TA side Mm -hmm. in 2016, but in Forex. So I don't know why the fuck I picked that girl, but I did. Anyways, probably I would have lost a lot more in in crypto. Um, Do you bring into fundamental trading strategies now into crypto in the sense of I'm going to invest this much of my capital, let's call it 5% into, you know, um, um, and, and of that five of that capital, I'm going to put 90% into Bitcoin and the rest into altcoins and choose your altcoins. And when I 1.5R, uh, my original investment, no matter what, my stop losses, my take profits, they're already established before I make that trade? Or is it still kind of, you know, uh, you're making decisions in the market as you're going?
1: Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I do make decisions as the market develops. I think the biggest thing... That is kind of a hard topic for especially newer traders to conceptualize is just picking your currency of choice. Like, what are you going to, what chart are you looking at? So, when we're in a bull market, I typically look at the Bitcoin pair because if I'm going to make the decision to sell Bitcoin for an altcoin, there's only one way to measure the performance of that altcoin, and it's by looking at the Bitcoin pair. If the Bitcoin pair is not outperforming, then I should have just stayed in Bitcoin. Um, so when you're in a, a, a really strong established uptrend, uh, a Bitcoin bull market, uh, if you are going to sell some of that Bitcoin to take an altcoin trade, don't look at alt-USD, look at alt-BTC to ensure that, um, you know, the performance that you're seeing is not emotional performance of your portfolio going up, and it's actually an outperformance of the safest, most liquid asset that you could be buying, which is Bitcoin. Um other than that, uh, portfolio allocation—that's a very personal. Um, that's a very personal question for the individual trader to take on because it's a spectrum. I am a lot more comfortable with a, a larger Bitcoin allocation or a larger altcoin allocation when I believe that the conditions are right. Um, and then it might not be comfortable for somebody else or somebody who's showing up late in the cycle. Um, it might be irresponsible to do that. But what, uh, what I will say is I always have cash. I always have cash. I don't think I ever fall, well, realistically, I don't ever fall below 5% portfolio allocation of cash, which isn't a huge, you know, pile. Uh, but uh, you do always need to have cash so that you have options. If you don't have any options, you're at the mercy of the market. And uh, the market can be violent. (laughs) The market does not care at all. No.
0: Um, Okay, so let's jump a little bit more into the macro side of Bitcoin and currently what's going on. Um, We are in a bear market. I mean, we've probably been one in since since last May, essentially, and people don't realize that. But technically on the chart, we've been in since about November. Um, On the macro side, inflation, war, logistic uh, issues, interest rates rising. Talk a little bit about that and how... How how do you take these aspects um, when you're doing analysis and 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 what percentage do you give them in terms of value? Uh, are you putting eighty percent trust into the macro and twenty percent trust into the TA? Um, can
1: you speak on that? I think that uh, the TA should just, especially macro TA. Uh, there's kind of like. Short-term trading TA, which is a topic all in of itself, yeah. that you know is, is not appropriate for a podcast because it's very visual. But macro technical analysis should pair up with fundamental analysis. Um, so the fundamentals are are pretty simple. Uh, when cash is cheap, markets rally. When cash is expensive markets have a recession they they decrease they go down in value
0: so explain i listened to that on your last podcast so what you mean by that and you explained it very well in the last one so people understand well what do you mean when cash is cheap and when it's expensive
1: interest rates so for example interest rates have been really really low they've been at around 1% depending on the bank and these and i'm talking these numbers are coming from central banks obviously your local bank will add on a little bit to that as well but the central banks have been around 1% for the last 10, well, for the last 12 years, the S&P has been making higher highs and higher lows with an average return of around 7%. So it's kind of a no-brainer that if cash is 1% and I put it into the s and I can make 6%. And so- Year know, over year. year. Year over year. So I'm able to honor the loan. I'm able to pay back um, any of the debts that I owe to the bank. I'm able to service- Whatever interest rates are going to be applied to that, and I can make money with relatively low risk. Now, when the interest rates increase, all of the analy- uh, all of the traders who have been riding that boat need to reassess the risks, and they need to analyze the the major indices, the S and P, the Nasdaq, the the Russell, what have you, um, to determine: Are we going to see the same year-over-year year returns? And are we going to be close to those returns in terms of a uh, uh, the debt that I owe to the bank, the debt on the cash? And if the answer is no, you're forced to repay the loan. And when you repay the loan, you liquidate assets. And when you liquidate your assets, you're adding supply to the market. So if the demand of the market is... Uh, Determined on interest rates and how you know easily people want to deploy their capital and and allocate their portfolio in something that's going to re- uh, generate revenue, uh, they now flip the script, and then it just creates this unwinding event. And this is kind of I w- I don't want to say that it's by design, but this is just the movements of of human psychology uh, through markets is uh, you know. The good times aren't good anymore, so I'm going to uh, take my winnings and run. And what that causes is a, is a glut in supply, which will uh, ultimately make more people sell, more people pay back the loans to the uh, to the to the banks, and then the banks can get more of their money back by increasing interest rates. And it's a, it's a vicious cycle.
0: We were, I think, we were talking about that briefly last week, and trying to understand. I I, uh, I still don't fully understand this part of. We've been printing trillions and trillions of dollars, and by we, I mean the U.S., Mm -hmm. um, for the past, let's say, 15 years, probably longer than that. But, I mean, I think it was, what is it, 80% of all the money in fiat of the U.S. dollar was printed during the current situation. Now that we're selling these assets, is that... Is that cash? Those trillions of dollars? Does it stay in the market? Does it get liquidated where it no longer exists? Because my point of the question is, we've hit these all-time highs of Bitcoin at say sixty-nine thousand, almost seventy thousand, um, and people are selling the assets. Maybe they're holding cash. Maybe they're well, obviously they're they're maybe they're going into bonds. Usually that's what you do to to hedge your bet against those assets. Um, but they're going to have to come back on the next bull. Uh, rally. And when that money comes back in, is that fiat, that, that, that uh, currency, that value of those trillions of dollars, is it still avail- available or does it evaporate?
1: Money can be created and destroyed in the stock market. So, you know, if, if things accelerate to the downside, a lot of people think that money in equals number go up. But that's not actually the case. How, how price is decided, how a share of Tesla stock is decided is the moment somebody sells stock to an individual, that's the new price. So in a downtrend, let's say Tesla's at $800 a share. Uh, and you hold, theoretically, on paper, $800 a share of Tesla stock. Now I'm going to use extreme examples so that people can understand. Let's say you go to the exchange and on the order book there are no orders, nobody's buying, not a single person is buying Tesla stock at $800. But you go down the list of the order book and then you find an order at $700. So there is somebody who's willing to buy, but they're not willing to buy it at the perceived market. Like a buy, price. a buy order exactly. It, yeah. um, they're going to buy it at uh, seven. So if you sell the price is worth $700 and hundred dollars disappeared. It's gone because you had paper value of $800, but the actual value, the new market price, because a deal was made is $700. Now that's a very extreme example, but what I'm talking about is the spread between the bids and the asks. And when you're in a very liquid market, the spread between the bids and the asks are very tight. So you don't get a lot of slippage. But in times of panic, in times of fear, in times of liquidation, uh, the spread increases. And as the spread increases and people panic and everybody rushes for the exit, money disappears. It ceases to exist. Now the inverse is true as well. If you're in a market that um, is very, very high demand, and everybody's making a ton of money, nobody is willing to sell their shares, you really have to bid quite high in order to get those shares. So the inverse is true as well. So let's say you know people are holding their Tesla at seven hundred, but nobody's willing to sell it unless you offer me eight. Well, now you've created hundred dollars. So you can create and destroy fiat um, in the in the market. And
0: this is very different than the Fed printing money.
1: Exactly. Yeah, okay. you can print money. The the f- through the public markets, every dollar that was printed during COVID can be erased. It's a very extreme example, but it can be erased through the public markets. Um.
0: How, how do you think when the Fed is printing money? I mean, essentially this is government dollars. Um, the only example that I could think of, of like, again, the Fed doesn't print money and give it to Tesla. That's not how it works. But from my understanding is um, let's say you own a furniture company and you're in, in Can- Canada and your customers for those furniture company is the government, it's hospitals and, and it's schools. Therefore, that hospital will say, we're going to open up a new wing. Well, that's the money from the government coming to the hospital, which feeds back to that furniture company, and then he's able to reallocate his cash. Does that example make sense of when the Fed
1: prints money, how it gets reallocated? I'm not an expert on that. I don't know how the Fed uh, spends the dollars that they print. Um, I, a I lot think of the, times, the Yeah, the point the is, yeah,
0: when it's being printed and they're printing the money, it has to go into the markets. But the only way it could enter the markets is is going, like, the Fed is not buying stock on, on the S&P.
1: No, I think they are. Oh, they are? Yeah. Ah, okay. I think they are. Interesting. Uh, I think they're buying bonds of other uh, central banks. I think they're buying uh, individual stocks. Now, I, I don't know for certain on individual stocks, but I think they are, uh, you know, paying market makers to prop up, uh, major indices. Um, they are injecting capital into the system. So, for example, with the U.S., uh, the government might need some money for military spending. Military spending has tons of trickle-down economics, where you know you're employing people, and then all of that money you, you get other people, other citizens rich, and then they start investing. So, there is trickle-down economics. I think they are propping it up as well. Um, the Fed has a balance sheet of assets that they're wanting to reduce. Um, so they do hold assets and they acquire them somehow. I don't know the technical ways of which they acquire those assets, mm-hmm. but they are kind of buying assets.
0: Yeah, And th- even though this is a crypto podcast, again, th- this is the macro. It's all dis- connected. This is the macro discussion that a lot of people don't understand. And they wake up in the morning and they open up their BTC USD chart and they do a bit of TA and they think, well, that Japanese candlestick. Oh, look how long that wick is, and oh well, we didn't break the seven MA. You can't just look at that. There's just there's so much more depth to making a decision. Um, that and that's kind of what I, we want. I want to show people as well. Like you need to take these fun these traditional markets into consideration as well. Um, let's ruin everyone's lives right now. <laughs> okay, and and I, I'm on the same page as you. People need to understand, let, let's, let you know, history, it, it doesn't repeat itself, but, it, you know, it's, what is it, past performance doesn't predict future, blah, blah, whatever. Yeah. Okay, so, if we were to look at the dot-com crash, uh, and, you know, those all-time highs of Amazon, people need to understand that S&P chart, it went into uh, accumulation for mm-hmm. eight
1: years, correct? Yeah.
0: Is that what is about to happen? I've... Said
1: on numerous occasions on my live streams that I think there are a lot of parallels to uh, Amazon in the late 90s, early 2000s dot com bubble. And uh, because that was the early days of the internet, and I'm drawing a lot of parallels with crypto. Um, Crypto-savvy individuals don't really understand it because you live and breathe crypto. You're in it every day. You use a wallet. You use a DeFi application. You use this app, that app, and it's easy to you. But the the sobering reality is we don't have users. We really don't. We do not have users, and our valuations don't really match the user set. So I think that uh, we do need some more time to make crypto easier, Um, just... Setting up a wallet is a huge barrier. It's a huge barrier that a lot of people kind of want to ignore and not really give it um, the respect that it deserves. Uh, you go and tell somebody, hey, you, need, you can't leave your money on an exchange. You need a wallet. They're like, okay, cool. What app do I download? Okay, cool. You, you download this app. And then they, they text you back or they send you a message or whatever. What is this 12-word thing? They're done. They're gone it's so foreign you know and then you compound their their lack of understanding by saying yeah you you write those down well can i just take a screenshot no can i store it on the cloud no what do i have to do with it you have to physically write it down and put it in a safe what happens if i lose it you lose all your money like (laughs) we're not there yet uh crypto is not ready for mass adoption in my opinion i think that we're we're still early days uh you know, the positive that for those, the positive swing on that is for those who do know how to run a wallet, those who do know how to operate a, uh, a DeFi, interact with a DeFi application and know how to use a Web3 wallet, uh, 10 years down the road, you are selling that as a service. Honestly, like there's big business in the, in the skills that you have today because 95% of the users on the other side of the adoption curve will not have to do this at all. You have an incredible amount of skill if you, and again, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but it is. You have an incredible amount of skill if you know how to do these things and you will potentially one day be able to offer this as a service if it's not already automated through blockchain technology. Yeah,
0: I think a lot of these applications will come out. It'll be more automated in that sense. Uh, um, But again, it needs to be built and kind of... Going back to like, let's looking at like these Amazon stocks and, and, and again, it went through that in, on the Wyckoff theory through an accumulation phase for eight years. So my hope is that that doesn't happen. I really hope that I'm going to say best case scenario that we get, you know, the cycle continues in the next havening. Um, but I'm also prepared for the worst. Um, On your side, how are you preparing of what's going on now and and looking into the future? Is it very similar? I'm hoping for the happening, but I'm ready for eight
1: years. I, well, to go back to Amazon stock, it was about 10 years from the peak of the dot-com bubble until we made a new all-time high. And I think that's a very important distinction to make very clear because there was a mid-cycle rally inside of that where Amazon rallied 700%. So it's not like bull markets didn't exist anymore. It's just you didn't make a new all-time high for 10 years. And I think that the same thing can happen to crypto. And this is probably not what a lot of people want to hear, but going back to one of the other laws of Wyckoff, we have three laws. Um, Law one is supply and demand. You have to have a market that has demand and you have to analyze the supply. Law number two is cause and effect. And cause and effect is referencing the longer you are in an accumulation phase, the higher the bull market will be. So although it sounds, you know, it's, it's not what people want to hear that I think that potentially Bitcoin won't be back up at 70k for 10 years. And again, this is just a possibility. But for me, it's the possibility that I want, because that is how you build the cause for a super cycle. That's how you get a hyperwave. You need to have that multi-year accumulation phase. If we get eight years of accumulation inside of Bitcoin, that's how Bitcoin comes off of its lows at ten k and ends up at two point two million dollars per coin. Well, that's a bit crazy. But I, I mean,
0: if, if you're talking at flipping like bond markets,
1: essentially, I think that you know Bitcoin has an incredible amount of potential for how the internet runs. Period. And uh, that number is based off of just what Amazon did. Look at Amazon in the in the '90s, uh, and look at Amazon today. Back then, it was an online bookstore. People were losing their they were losing their minds over the idea of having a bookstore on a, on the internet. And now, Amazon you know hosts countless applications and basically owns most of the internet through its AWS um, services, um, Amazon Web Service. Um, it basically owns like everything. Uh, It's a huge, huge part of the internet. And I think that blockchain technology incentivized through the Bitcoin network um, will be an equally monumentous part of the internet.
0: My, uh, if I was to do simple math and you can try to follow me with this, sorry, I get a bit scatterbrained on that. Um, And it's just hypothetical. If, Now they're talking about, um, as policy in the news in the US, they're talking about, well, Bitcoin, is it an equity? Is it an asset? And it's really moving more towards it becoming a commodity. Now, if Bitcoin does get labeled as a commodity and it essentially flips gold, I mean, the math would be uh, gold's 12 trillion, let's say, as a market cap. Bitcoin, when it was, let's call it 70,000, close to 70, was about 1.2 trillion. Let's call it a trillion. Uh, if we times 10, our market cap, that brings us to the value of Bitcoin at 10 trillion, close to flipping gold. And now each coin's worth 700,000. Is that math fair enough?
1: Yeah, that's fair math. I think the part that I would disagree with or the, the, the argument that I would make is that, uh, you know, we're trying to classify something that hasn't really created a classification. What is the internet? Is the internet a commodity? Is the internet a security? Well, we don't know because we've never had to buy shares of the internet, so we don't, we've never needed to classify it before. Uh, but if the internet was a commodity, what would its price be? Would it be more than gold? I think so. And I think that uh, Bitcoin is its own thing. Um, it has properties of sound money that you can make parallels with gold, but. I think that Bitcoin is its own thing and um, you know, we can try and label it, but I I think that it would be just painting it into a corner and not really doing it justice for what blockchain technology is actually capable of and how Bitcoin fills the role of the incentive layer for blockchain technology.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, it is, it is technology. And I think if we simplify it, I think there's a, I think the best guy to, to listen to, and it's a bit scattery, is Michael Saylor. And just kind of look up any, you can type it in on YouTube. Um, there's many videos where Michael Saylor is trying to make analogies of Bitcoin as energy, its vibrations. Do you follow that school of thought or do you would you argue that?
1: No, I think that there are, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, it's economic energy. Um, money, fiat is economic energy. You know, I don't need to... We don't need to rely on the barter system where if you do something for me, I immediately need to do something for you. I can store that, that debt. Like, if you do something for me, you know, I owe you one. Now, you can actually fit, create a physical property of I owe you one through currency. Um, and I think that Bitcoin holds that property. It's, but that's the application of money. I think that Bitcoin is a lot more than money. Um, I think that Bitcoin is basically the security and verification layer of the internet. I think that, uh, a lot of the problems that exist on the internet today, um, in terms of fraud, counterfeit, uh, bots, um, malicious software, uh, failure to own one's, uh, identity through social media. Uh, there are countless applications of blockchain and, um, Bitcoin is a really, really sound form of money, but I think that's just one app. It's just one app.
0: Yeah, I mean, just thinking about that in that sense, like as an example, um, focusing more on like uh, verifying information. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many countless times have you read an article and you're like, okay, you read the headline, but who wrote this? Well, the friction to do the deep dive, we don't have time. But if there's a way to verify that much quicker, it's going to filter out the bullshit real quick. And that's just one concept there. Um, What I see Bitcoin doing in the future, it's it's reducing the friction on our interactions and information. And that's the technology behind it. Which inevitably would um, help humanity or human civilization grow exponentially. What that means is, let's say I have, I'm have i company A and you're company B, and this is more on the monetary side of how Bitcoin as the technology could improve our lives. Well, when we work with you know traditional bank, the banking system, um, we get fucked by holidays of different banks around the world, uh, what bank hours are open, we're closed on Monday to Friday, different religions have different days banks are open. Imagine I feel we're working two days a week, right? Right let's be okay. Maximum we're working three. Like the world is working three days a week.
1: <laughs> An extreme example. But An yeah, extreme I get example. what you're saying. So yeah.
0: basically what I'm saying is that your company a in Saudi Arabia and, and you're Muslim and I'm company B in the U S and you know, your Fridays are off and my Sundays are off and our holidays are all, you know, messed up. But that's not the point. We're still company A and company B. And I send you an invoice that I need that paid, but it could be a large amount in terms of, like, it has to go through an escrow and a bank. And you're, this could take two weeks. Mm-hmm. With Bitcoin and that system in the blockchain, we can do that in seconds, and we can both do it on a Saturday night at 3 a.m.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the internet's kind of incomplete. Um, you know, if anybody's ever set up an online store... Or, or made some sort of offering online, like where you want to monetize yourself, you know, we'll use Stripe as an example. If I launch an online store, and I'm going to accept money from people, I can create the links, I can sell the products, I can grab your email, you can, you can choose to pay me. But we still need to plug in Stripe as a WordPress plugin to the website. Um, so Stripe is kind of the middleman. They, they hold the uh, the keys to the kingdom and uh, they will say yes or no to these transactions that are going through their service. And like you said, it, it may not be 24 hours a day or if the transaction is you know deemed suspicious, there will be an auditing process for that transaction. Um, you can build a website, but you can't sell a product without somebody else. And I think that blockchain allows you to build a site and finish it. You can finish the website completely with blockchain technology and then boom, you launch it. It's ready to go and uh, you're ready to accept and payments.
0: Now we're, gonna, we're getting into the Lightning Network. Yeah. Um, I think that, that, that kind of connects perfect, this part of the conversation. I don't think I'm going through any of my fucking notes.
1: but <laughs> It doesn't matter.
0: Um, we just go with the flow. Um, connect that part, Web2, PayPal, Stripe, whatever, in terms of payment processing. Now we have Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Can you talk about that a bit and what is it?
1: Uh, Bitcoin's Lightning Network is just the payment layer. It's the, it's the scalability layer. Of does Bitcoin.
0: someone own that?
1: How does that work? It is created through... Basically, we're still using the Bitcoin network for it. But instead of processing transactions, we're creating a channel where two wallets can sign. It costs no gas. There's no transaction that's happening on a signature of a transaction. You only pay when you process a transaction. The miners will pick it up and it'll go into the next block when you process a transaction. So the Lightning Network is basically the payment layer. So like, if I'm a person who drinks coffee every day, which I am, and I go to your coffee shop every day, you know, we have a relationship. We exist in this world with a monetary relationship. So instead of us processing every single transaction on the main chain, we just keep a tab. We just keep a tab rolling and it's, it's a secure tab because a signature is, is basically I am saying this is true and it's verified and it's just a signature. There's no processing required. And then when it's like, all right, dude, you know, let's settle up. We settle up and we process on the, on the network. And when you do that in a large form with many, many participants, you turn thousands of transactions into one.
0: Are you? Would you be paying in Bitcoin or could that Bitcoin be converted into like a stable coin
1: and then we're paying in that? Currently on the Lightning Network, those types of things are being developed. Um, there because, are, for
0: example, I don't want to pay in Bitcoin. I want to hold. Sure. I want to maybe take a percentage of my Bitcoin capital and convert it into a stable coin on that network. And I want to pay you pay, pay with that.
1: It doesn't exist right now, but I think it's coming. And uh, I'm kind of glad that things are going a little bit slower with uh, with Bitcoin and Lightning in regards to stable coins because we don't really have a trusted stablecoin, coin. Um, so it would be better, you know, for those individuals that do want to choose their local currency, um, they should have the right to do so. We just need to figure out a way to fully back their currency. Basically, we need central banks to come online. We need central banks to start using Bitcoin, the network, for that to be... Um, Feasible and it doesn't really exist right now. There are ways that you can move stable coins around, but you shouldn't be surprised if the stable coin unwinds. I mean, we just saw what happened to Luna. Yeah, um,
0: that's what scares the shit out of me. Like I'll, everyone, and I'll talk about that quick. We'll come back to this. Um, you get those positions, and you you know it was say it was sixty nine k Bitcoin. And you're like, okay, great position. Convert it, swap it all into uh, you know on the DeFi through paying, uh, Uniswap, and let's swap this all to Tether. Well, what the fuck happens when tether on pegs, and now you have zero dollars, like what happened to Luna? So the stable coins, that 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 strategy, for me, I wouldn't do because now I'm a bit you know scared. What are those stable coins pegged to? Um, do do you follow that thought process? Because again, I've talked to people before where basically their strategy was. Okay, when I feel I'm close to the all-time high or my position's good to get out, I get out, I convert it to a stable coin, and I stake it, and I make interest, and I come back into the market when it's time to make that move.
1: That was the idea. And <laughs> I,
0: I, don't, I think that idea is out the window yeah. now,
1: right? Yeah, um, and this is just another testament to how early we are in this development of this technology is, uh, you know, we're really, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what's going to stick, and we are not the Fed. We should not have the money printer. And when you have stable coins, we have the money printer. They're gonna squash that. They're going to regulate that. And it's going to be good. You know, uh, it, there's two kind of thought processes there. There's the hardcore Bitcoin maximalists that don't really want central bank digital currencies to enter into the ecosystem because it's going to you know, significantly reduce the amount of privacy that we have. Um, And then there's the other camp that wants to trade the perceived value so that when Bitcoin becomes overbought, they have a safe haven. They have somewhere to go. And when it becomes oversold, they can redeploy. But, you know, the tradeoff to that is you will be tracked, your wallets will be known, and you will have to pay taxes. Um, So there's pros and cons to both. But as it stands right now, we're printing funny money and we call them USDC, we call it Tether, we call it DAI, but it's just, it's bullshit. And uh, it will be regulated. How that ends up going down, I'm not going to sit here and speculate on how that goes down. But I do think that central bank digital currencies will get into the Bitcoin network. And uh, we will, that'll probably spark off the next bull run. Do you
0: think that, and and it's exactly what I I think, who did I hear that from? Maybe Pomp Um, uh, or someone on the show, maybe Dylan LeClaire. Basically, they were saying that, uh, the first phase and us getting regulated is the regulation of stable coins yeah. and then Bitcoin will follow and possibly alts will follow but the Bitcoin maximalists will say no all all alts are going to zero and well I'm pretty heavily in ethereum so go fuck yourself but um, so and and they're thinking as soon as like q4 that this this process could start do you see that happening
1: well there are already central bank digital currencies that are in the late stages of testing and development. So, you know, the EU on uh, China's central bank digital currencies. I don't know exactly where it stands, but it's pretty much ready to deploy if it's not already, if there aren't already some of them in circulation in China. Uh, the U.S. is going to drag their feet a little bit, and I think they have the luxury to be able to do so because the U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency right now. So they can drag their feet. They can be a later, a, a later adopter of this kind of technology, but I think they're working on it as well. We have the the electronic euro being developed. It's coming down the pipe. Uh, I would not be surprised to see uh, central bank digital currencies in the hands of users by Q4. I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised, but I do think that's a little early. I think it might take a little bit longer, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them yeah, be deployed that, by the end of this year.
0: That's why I personally believe that when you watch these countries like in Africa and El Salvador that are bitcoin is legalized tender i would not be surprised if it's the u.s government behind it being like you guys test it out you do the beta testing or the alpha testing we'll see where you go wrong and then we'll come in and adopt it otherwise i don't even think it ever goes to legalized tender in those countries anyways so it's kind of like they're the monkeys right now yeah which i mean again from the macro level that's the play who do you think invented, who is, uh, what is it? Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. I know I, just, I know it, but I can never pronounce it. Satoshi Nakamoto. Do you have any speculation on who it might
1: be? I think it's Hal Finney. Um, but it's one of those things, like, who cares? He's not moving his coins. He's not contributing. Um, I think it makes the most sense, and it probably just makes me feel better that I think it's Hal Finney, which was one of the early, um, you know, original adopters of the, uh, I think it was a Reddit thread or it was some sort of thread that the early days of Bitcoin. Um, and he's dead, you know, the last kind of communications of anything from Satoshi Nakamoto was in 2014 and that's the year that Hal Finney died. Mm. So I think that those two events line up. How did up, he die? Uh, he had some sort of illness. Um, okay. I don't know the, he had a terminal illness of some kind if i am not don't quote me on that yeah, i yeah. don't actually know uh but I'm, I'm pretty sure he had some sort of illness and he died of that illness
0: do you subscribe to the conspiracy theory that the u.s government and the cia is no. behind it
1: no i don't and I but what's that, interesting
0: um, is if you translate satoshi nakamoto uh did i fuck that up no oh, okay got it see i, I get like dysle- no i'm just dyslexia. excited i'm just excited okay. to so hear it, it's japanese it's japanese and yeah. in japanese writing um, it's actually like a super simplified version of Chinese. Like they have con- this like type of kanji, uh, writing style. It's, it's very simplified chi- Chinese, but there's certain characters in Japanese that, uh, and it's the same thing in Hong Kong. Like in Hong Kong, if you write in Chinese characters and you show it to a Mandarin speaker and a Cantonese speaker, the meaning's the same. They pronounce it different. Same in Japan. Um, satoshi nakamoto if you took it and translate it in chinese like literally the characters literal literal translation very close sorry not literal just in case but very very close uh is central intelligence
1: how do we know that that wasn't uh i don't know i just like a good conspiracy (laughs) how finny yeah i mean Yeah, yeah i don't know it's uh to me, I don't. I I always like to give the people more credit. I think that we, the people, don't really give ourselves enough credit. You know, government is in power because we put them there. We decided that we needed to organize uh, a, a set of responsible individuals to make decisions on how to organize a, a society, and that's government. Uh, we, the people, kind of underestimate ourselves a little bit in our capabilities. And I think that there's a real problem with the role of government and how there's just an overbearing sense of control. You know, we gave them the control and they're running amok. So I am much more of the mindset that, you know, people have identified that, you know, we need to get government back in check and uh, we have the ability to do so through technology and we the people created something to just fix the rule book that uh, governments have been exploiting
0: have you heard about these 250 year world cycles of centralization to
1: decentralization no but i love a good cycle um yeah. and it would make sense to me um yeah that we they have said these, around
0: the late 1700s it's kind of um, as we got into the Industrial Revolution and we moved to steamships and then steel, um, we, we had to figure out ways, okay, well, we, we need to unionize, we need companies with these companies, we need to centralize. And they show there's these cycles of every 250 years where literally the world moves from centralized to decentralized. Um, this is on the Best Business Show with Pomp. And they get these different, you know, analysts that are coming on. And, and that's what he said. He's like, we're in the process of returning to decentralization.
1: I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, for those who think that uh, Bitcoin and crypto is kind of the solution that's going to stick around and that we're always going to be decentralized. It's a nice thought, but it's just not realistic. We always centralize. So even Bitcoin will centralize. People are worried about, oh, well, what if all the mining companies, you know, all centralized? Of course they are. Everybody's going to fight for power. And the people that have more power can acquire more power. And we are always going to centralize. What's important about Bitcoin and blockchain technology is it's a new set of rules so that once they do consolidate power, they can't manipulate it. They can't, you know, exploit it. They can't just print... Value. Because if you look at you know, the position of a country who holds a reserve currency, right now it's the U.S., because everybody wants to trade in U.S. dollars or, every, or they might even be required to trade globally in U.S. dollars, um, the U.S. has a huge, huge advantage over every other country on the face of the planet. They can print and what they print has value. This is how you kind of create a power that's out of control. I, uh, the US government can print dollars to make their military more strong, which gives them more power, which makes other countries less powerful than them, and it's a vicious cycle that can't really be broken. Um, with blockchain technology, you can't just print your way into being the superpower.
0: Well Ethereum technically could. What do you mean? Because th- th- Ethereum doesn't have a market uh, um, uh, circulating, what is it, a market cap. They can continue, not like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, 21 million. But it's million. set.
1: It's set and it's governed by um, the miners or the validators once we go to, to the merge. Right. Uh, you can't just press a button and make more. Whereas when you are a reserve currency, if you feel that you're losing power, like if, if Russia is becoming a threat or China is becoming a threat, you just need to print more money and they're not a threat anymore. That's an unfair advantage. Whereas with a Bitcoin standard, um, you don't have that anymore. And the governments have to be competitive. Countries need to be competitive and they need to make decisions that are fair. So if I'm boosting up my military, I have to spend dollars. When I spend dollars, I have less dollars. Therefore, I'm less powerful. Mm-hmm. So you need to make very clear and important um, and uh, well-educated and you know, calculated decisions with how you... With your monetary policy, um, so that you don't just have this overbearing position over the rest of the world. So, yes, you know it's decent, Bitcoin and decentralization right now is great, but eventually the power will consolidate; it will centralize, but at least the rules will be more fair once that happens.
0: So, are you married more to the Keynesian or Austrian, uh, you know, school of thought, and, and monetary think, policy?
1: I think ultimately we'll figure out the governments will figure out a way to print. Um, you know, w- when the U S was in its early days, the founding years of the U S it was a gold standard. So it was a hard money standard. And then eventually we moved away from the hard money standard and we moved to a trust system, the fiat system. We removed the gold si- the gold standard. Um, I think that'll happen again. But, uh, you know, we'll be long dead by the time that happens.
0: Yeah. could is, And that's where I was wondering if Bitcoin could flip gold. Would Bitcoin become the backing of the U.S. dollar or is that just impossible in our lifetime?
1: I think Bitcoin will just become the backing of every currency. Mm. Interesting. 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 OK. Uh,
0: well, we've, we talked a lot about Bitcoin. I want to. Oh, one more thing before we jump off Bitcoin and then we're going to get into some rapid fire on different altcoins and. Uh, You can kind of give us the thumbs up, thumbs down type of thing. We won't dive too much into it. We'll scratch the surface Um, before we do that and jump into that. um, What are your thoughts on Peter Schiff and guys like Warren Buffett and all this FUD that they keep creating and Bitcoin's going to zero when you hear that stuff mentally? Do you react to it publicly? Is it something you keep inside and what's your opinion on that?
1: I think everybody has an opinion. And, uh, you know, when you are renowned as a a public figure who makes good investments, people want to hear your opinion on certain topics. Now, Buffett has never understood tech. Dude just buys Coca-Cola and and keeps on trucking. The guy, you know, he's never, he doesn't buy anything he doesn't understand. He clearly doesn't understand blockchain. I don't even know if he knows how the internet works. (laughs) he He doesn't
0: even believe in Tesla.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have to take, at the end of the day, everybody has an opinion. I have an opinion. You have an opinion. Warren Buffett has an opinion. We're all people and we're all people who have opinions. Um, Only time will tell who's right and who's, you know, a moron. Um, See, I I think my opinion on
0: Warren Buffett is when you look at total asset market caps, Bitcoin not long ago was ahead of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, if, if you're if that's the competitor and you're you got clients with money, you know, and that are invested in your stock, of course you're going to fud the competitor. Why why would you cheer them on? Because what's going to happen is just going to be a transfer of liquidity. The Berkshire, unless, um, and I think that's a good segue into this question on the Bitcoin on the Bitcoin side of what could be the catalyst of you know bringing Bitcoin to the public. Is it going to be ETFs? <sighs>
1: I don't know. I don't know the catalyst. Like, it's um, the
0: question is more like, like hypothetically saying, like, I think what, what that is that an, day when... I think
1: an ETF will make it easier? I think you know that's the catalyst. Is it's still really hard? It's still really hard to buy crypto. For those who, I mean, I remember even just two years ago, if I sent a large denomination of crypto, I was sweating and looking at the block explorer to like make sure it went through you know I don't have those sweats and stresses anymore um it's just not easy there's a lot of things that need to be developed to make it easier people don't trust it and rightfully so i think 95% of of crypto coins are are a scam um there's countless stories of people losing their money it's just we need to make it easier we need people to start trusting it. And I think it's just, I don't know what the catalyst is, but it's just the network effect. This is sound money. It's a solid technology. It just needs to be polished. And as we continue to polish it, we're going to get more users. And as we get more users, we're just going to create this snowball effect.
0: Yeah, it, it needs it needs to be volume. I, I was listening uh, to Mark Cuban on that and why these altcoins, what, what's, what's going to make them take off and Uh, Especially things like Ethereum, he said. The reality is, if you don't have people using the product, nothing will happen. You can do all this, you know, uh, Axie Infinity and you know, play to uh, play to earn type of stuff. But if that coin they're giving you, no one wants to buy; it's worthless. Um, And again, it's just we're we're. Would you say we're still early adopters at this stage?
1: I think we are very early, and a lot of people feel as though we're late. You know, I didn't buy Bitcoin at two hundred. Yeah, you didn't buy Bitcoin at 200. You're going to be buying it at uh, you know, 10, 20, 30. Uh, and I fully believe that if Bitcoin is the the asset of the the hot, the largest used blockchain, uh whatever that ends up being the case, it's without a doubt, without a doubt over a million dollars a coin.
0: So is this that you're I, early. I, I don't You're subscribe early. to that shit. Like, I, I try to stay away with I'm it. I'm not a moon boy. No, I'm not a moon boy. But I mean, <laughs> like, you know, generational wealth. Like, wait, what are you going to tell your grandchildren when you didn't buy three-digit ETH? <laughs> that, yeah. that stuff drives me fucking nuts.
1: Yeah. But I mean, no, but
0: it's it, we're still early.
1: In, we're in incredibly that early. Yeah. We are incredibly early. Yeah. We have the, the tech. We have uh, the infrastructure. But we have no apps and we have no users. Yeah. We have the building blocks to make all of that. But realistically, like if you were in the internet, if you were in the dot-com bubble um, and you were looking at all these projects back then, everything seemed like a good idea. And not one person could have predicted Netflix. Not one person could have predicted Uber. We need these like crazy apps to come online where it's just like this is institutionalized. We need decentralized Facebook. We need decentralized Instagram. Once these things become mainstream, it's game over. And, and that's my,
0: my FOmo or you know positivity on I, I understand that we could go sideways for eight years, but I, I'm crossing my fingers and I mean I don't like to wish, um, but I, I feel think, we're gonna look back and be like, okay, we missed out on the Amazons and the Netflix and, and I hope that we look at these charts in terms of Bitcoin and the crypto and uh, th- these apps that will be coming out and investors come in and they kind of invest blindly. I hope, going like, well, clearly that worked there. We got this going on here, but we don't fully understand it. But let's get into it and see what fucking happens.
1: I think, you know, you're going to have a lot of that. You're going to have people that just, I mean, it happens every bull market. Every time we have, like, if we go into a super cycle, people will be throwing their money at anything. Um, It's just human behavior.
0: If we go into that super cycle, are you 100% in Bitcoin and stay away maybe ethereum but stay away from everything else
1: i think i'm gonna work on uh accumulating a very healthy non-kyc position of bitcoin and um and we'll leave it at that honestly i don't know i don't know every cycle is a little bit different i think uh it would be foolish for me to say that i won't dabble in other things uh, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I do see the value of, uh, you know, all of these companies and these these organizations, these DAOs, all trying different things. And I think that we see an, a pretty impressive next wave forwards. Once we have kind of the framework of blockchain really solidified, I think that's just where the stock market will be. So if you invest in stocks, yeah. you'll be, you know, inadvertently buying cryptos. Because there will be tokenized shares of stock. So I think we see, you know, tokenized securities. I think we see different, uh, different types of companies, decentralized autonomous uh, organizations, DAOs, decentralized autonomous companies, DAX, and then, uh, you know, STOs, tokenized securities. Um, we're going to have just a completely new stock market.
0: Yeah, well, I think FTX just bought Robinhood. I mean, this is that the beginning of that. You're bringing in the stock market onto these crypto exchanges, yeah. Because I'm, and I hope, hopefully, that could go DeFi as well. But let's see. I think
1: it will. We'll have the the New York Stock Exchange available twenty four hours a day and accepting any currency and potentially even loopholes to do without KYC. 24 hours a day yeah and
0: i i believe that's better for human uh civilization and the growth it's just going to allow us to grow you know exponentially faster than what we're doing today uh back to that point of your company A and company b we can move money much quicker therefore things can happen much faster and we're just reducing friction at the end of the day it's it's no different than if i was at you know you had the horse and buggy and i had to get across from you know New York to California, well, we came out with a car and we reduced that friction of time. Yeah. And that's how human civilization advances. You need to reduce friction with technology. Exactly.
1: Or using the example of Phuket, for those who don't know, Phuket is an island. It, uh, once upon a time, it didn't have a bridge. Yep. So like when you advance the technology and you create connections with other countries, you're able to build way faster. So as soon as the bridge was made from mainland Thailand to Phuket, boom, Phuket booms it, it, it yeah. grows exponentially and the same thing's going to happen with blockchain technology we're just reducing all of the friction so that we can get shit done yeah
0: yeah it's coming so everyone uh, don't be so bearish just uh if anything like you said i don't eight years i mean i'll be 44 i think it'll be uh, four i'm good with four can we settle there
1: <laughs> and i think you know there will be Bull markets, yeah. it, uh, like the accumulation range of the last cycle, like I said, it was between $3,000 and $14,000. There was really good money-making opportunities inside of those rallies. I don't think anything's going to change. I think we're going to have ebbs and flows. And when you are sitting on this side of, of a potential 10-year, eight-year thing, it's, it's very daunting to look that far forwards. But if you take it one year at a time, you know, It'll be no time at all before we've had the lowest price in Bitcoin and we're starting to, you know, come up from that. It might be two years from now. It might be, you know, the end of 2023 where the the low of Bitcoin comes in and then we're up, up only (laughs) for like 12 years. Yeah, Um, it's it's hard. I've been thinking about strategies and I mean, I
0: I understand how to swing trade. I'm pretty comfortable in that. I use pretty basic indicators. I'll use a bit of fib, but... I prefer the rsi or stock rsi maybe some macd but mostly rsi it's it's enough for me to kind of pick my position depending on uh, whether it's a long hold or short hold and what time frame i'm dealing with however what does scare me is you you come bitcoin is so volatile that you can create this okay these are my long-term bitcoins this is what i'm going to try to you know create um, capital with that i can use as spending cash over the next couple years but Bitcoin is so scary that when it hits that all-time high, maybe your short-term and long-term strategy, you just sell it all because you panic. So I'm I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to map that out and plan that out. Um, next, uh, I want to do a rapid fire, and we're gonna throw some altcoins at you. Um, we're I, I don't want to go too in depth. I think should we just do something like a yay or nay? Uh,
1: yay, nay, and maybe a sentence.
0: Okay. Let's do that. And, and I just
1: want to be clear yeah. before we start this. This is my opinion.
0: Yeah, this is not financial <laughs> advice. It's not financial <laughs> advice, and it's
1: just my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Let us know in the comments what you think. But yeah. uh, and, and any information that we've been discussing about, uh, you can let us know as well, and maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into that. There's, I think this podcast will go about two hours. We're almost there. We're probably getting close to an hour and a half. So basically, what left we what we want to talk about next is uh, for tech analysis. I think guys, go do your own research. Learn about you know Fibonacci, Wyckoff, head and shoulders, moving averages, RSI, MACD, support, uh, resistance, stop loss, take profit, and understand Japanese candles. Good luck. Go figure that out.
1: Okay. (laughs) Have a good time.
0: Yeah. So yeah, because that's too long. Well, let's not do tech analysis here. Uh, I want to do rapid fire on altcoins. Uh, Talk a little bit about DeFi, and we'll talk about um, um, different uh, platforms like Aave, Hex, Uniswap. Talk about flash loans, how to leverage long and leverage short in the DeFi. Um, But we're not—I think—we'll just scratch the surface on that. And the last thing I want to talk about at the very end is security protocols and wallet allocation, signatures, handshakes. A lot of people like myself fucked up at the beginning, never lost anything, but I definitely could have. Um, and I think this is probably the most important and a little bit about cold storage. So that's probably about you know, just five hours more. Yeah. No, big deal. <laughs> no, we'll go through that quick. I'll, I'll, I'll make it go quick. Okay. Um, and I'll ask him one question about NFTs at the end. Okay, let's go continue. Okay. Yay or nay, little sentence. Um, altcoins starting with Ethereum.
1: Um. I think Ethereum has a role to play in the foreseeable future. Okay. Um, Solana. I think Solana has its applications that I think are better suited for gaming and uh, exchange-based trading. I don't think it's a good platform for DeFi or secure finance.
0: Any? Do you think they'll do well in NFTs in the metaverse? I
1: think NFTs are a fantastic application for, for Solana. Solana.
0: And that's yeah. because of the gas fees
1: uh yeah and you know nfts don't need the same level of security as you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in a bank account unless you have a board yeah a board ape
0: yeah <laughs> anyways right. uh cardano
1: i think that uh, you know i've been very publicly shitting all over cardano this whole bull run uh, there is kind of a cult mentality with cardano that uh, I haven't felt justified its valuation. I think that all of the competitors of Cardano were doing a lot better. That being said, I'm seeing apps come online and it would not be fair to me to discount it uh, in the in the coming cycle. I think I need to reevaluate Cardano because I think that it has some really good competitive apps that are coming online. So it's not fair for me to just continue with that bearishness.
0: Yeah, and it's charts a bit different than everyone else's as well yeah. right now, which is, I mean, that when I saw that chart, I was like, the fuck
1: it doesn't look like a shitcoin chart to me so
0: maybe there's something
1: there um (laughs) avalanche i love avalanche i think that avalanche uh if i was to pick a side chain um i have a lot of hands-on experience with avalanche i like the user interface and the applications that were built on avalanche uh at the end of the day it is a side chain and i don't really like side chains i prefer layer two but um out of all of the side chains that are ethereum compatible i like avalanche the best
0: okay and polygon another side chain we, we spoke about
1: polygon in my experience has been quite clunky i do not like polygon yeah and
0: i've had that experience with some nfts and, and uh, i'm not going down that road but yeah, yeah there's a lot clunky. of failed
1: transactions the apps are not great um And, you know, some of the claims to fame for Polygon have been in gaming and metaverse. And I think Solana does a better job.
0: Yeah, I I did a uh, swap from Ethereum to wrap Polygon and the charges are still like 50, 60 bucks.
1: Oh, wow.
0: There you go. It's not as great as you think. Um, Kronos.
1: I, think, see, I don't know enough yeah, enough about that. Yeah, I them. mean, I think there's a potential. It's too hard to say. We'll have to see what happens in the early stages of the next um, bull market if, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that it can pull a BNB, and I think it could. You know, it could end up being like a Binance smart chain or something like that, but uh, it's just comparative speculation, so right now it's done nothing but lose everybody money, so.
0: Yeah, I haven't touched it. Again, I'm Bitcoin maximalist with Ethereum for NFTs. That's all I touch on. I don't want to get too, there's too many fucking charts. I'm not looking at them. All. Yeah. Um, and the last but not least, and this will help us kind of segue into the DeFi, Olympus DAO.
1: So Olympus DAO is a project that's quite near and dear to my heart. And uh, I think that it's an incredibly powerful platform that nobody understands.
0: Can you just explain it a bit without <sighs> a 10 minute? <laughs> sure. Give, give me the cliff notes.
1: Okay. So in crypto, we have stable coins. Stable coins are pegged. Olympus is a stable coin, but it is not pegged. Another asset that is that has a value that is not pegged is the US dollar. The US dollar has a central bank. Olympus Dow is the central bank of DeFi. They operate the same way that a central bank operates. The one fault is a lot of their treasury is holding stable coins, of which I don't really have a lot of confidence in. So a lot of their treasury can just one day disappear. But they're running The central bank of defi so it is a decentralized autonomous organization that is organizing in the same way it's following the same blueprint of a successful roadmap a central bank works we have several of them they've worked in the past they work today they will work in the future and Olympus Dow is, is doing that. But this is honestly, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole podcast. Yeah, let us know.
0: Maybe we'll do one just on Olympus
1: Dow. I, I was looking and it's down it. like 99%. So yeah, I, but everything else is, right? <laughs> so it's,
0: it's yeah. hard to say. I think as we come out of this bear market, there this is the opportunity for generational wealth, let's say. But I mean, to maybe not 100x, maybe 20x. But uh, in that sense... There's going to be a lot of these ponies and one's going to come out and do the 20 X, which one? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Okay. So jump into the DeFi side. What are your thoughts on like um, Aave?
1: I think Aave is a clever protocol and, you know, borrowing and lending is, is a a really smart application. Uh, The problem with DeFi overall right now is its backbone is stable coins and the stable coins are not bomb proof. So, if we had a central bank digital currency and you were staking your your CBDCs into Aave fantastic protocol i mean the the, the apps built like the contract is built it would not be hard to onboard an euon or an eusd or an e euro um, we just don't have those in our system just yet but the app is fantastic I really like Aave.
0: So, I, I, um, I, because I'm getting, I'm DeFi in that sense, but I'm looking, okay, so if I have Ethereum and and uh, I'm in a bear market, but I want to gain interest on my Ethereum in the DeFi, essentially I'm going, I'm staking, I'm attempting to stake that in Aave, and they're kind of going to give me, what is it, like a Lido coin, or they're going to give me their coin, Um And then that needs to go up in value. That's where I get a bit confused. Because if I'm staking my crypto, my Ethereum, I'd rather you be giving me Ethereum. I don't want your
1: shitcoin. Well, it's an IOU. It's an IOU. So it's like a certificate of deposit. So you put your ETH into the staking pool. And uh, they will automatically issue, issue you a certificate of deposit. Your interest comes from whoever borrows it. So whoever borrows from the pool. It basically, it's serving the exact same function as a bank. If I put my money in a bank in a high interest savings account, I'm getting you know, 0.9% interest a year. Uh, with Ave, I might get two or 3% interest a year because of the efficiencies of there is no bank. It's doing the exact same thing that a bank is, it's issuing loans, uh, collateralized loans, and um, you know, I can be the beneficiary of that efficiency. I don't need to pay the bank. I don't need to pay the big skyscraper downtown. I don't need to pay the bank teller. I don't need to pay the big fat cat CEO. I just get to collect the interest that's accrued from the borrower.
0: But their expenses, I mean, instead of having, you know, I mean, it's going to have to go into security. I mean, there's still going to be an expense at the end of the day. And that's probably going to be
1: the most expensive part, wouldn't it be? Yeah, I'm sorry. S- security,
0: security for the system. So yes, you're not paying the tellers and this and that. Well, the
1: security comes from the Ethereum network currently. Mm.
0: Okay, yeah, that part I'm really trying to understand. I think it, even for me, it's it's technical. So definitely, probably most people, it's very technical. Um, but the one thing I, I did read into it. So it's like if I'm if I'm lending a uh, hundred dollars worth of Ethereum, and I I lend that, I can now take that out. I can take out a loan of eighty. So. You're not, you cannot get the full back. But what I was watching is like where you can leverage, where you can essentially, you take that. Uh, so for example, I give the Ethereum, they give me a USDT. I take the USDT, I go to uh, Uniswap, I convert it back to Ethereum and I cycle that three or four fucking times. Sure. Um, would that be leveraging like 3x on the thir- third cycle? Or can you, can you explain that a little, little bit more? So I don't well, know, I think people
1: will understand this. 3x would be that you would hold three times the amount that you deposited. Okay. So if you deposited 1 ETH and you were cycling through multiple times to the point at which your deposits and your wallet equated to 3 ETH, you would be on 3x leverage. and You would be very susceptible to liquidation and you would probably lose all of it.
0: Now, but as long as I have to pay that back, no. or is it because of the price of Ethereum drops so low I get liquidated?
1: It's something, what, 80? It, it has to drop by 20 or 80 percent. It depends on how much leverage is applied, and um, it depends on the protocol that you're using. So in the example of, uh, let's say, Maker, um, when you open up a vault on Maker and you deposit your ETH into a Maker Vault and the issue you die... Um, if the value of your collateral falls below the amount that you borrowed, it's taken from you and it's, and it's sold on auction. Uh, it goes, it, the Got vault it. is sold in an auction. Um, so you won't get that back. Uh, as long as you keep adding margin, if you get close to liquidation, you do have to monitor it. If you keep adding ETH, you won't get liquidated.
0: So what a good play then Essentially, start staking it when you feel you hit the bottom of a bear market.
1: Ideally, yeah, if you can time the market to apply leverage at the bottom, that's perfect. instead of, instead of trying to stake you at know, the top. That's what uh, that's what you're trying to do on an exchange. That's what you're trying to do when yeah. you, you know, take out a second mortgage to buy Bitcoin at what you think is the bottom. It's the same. If you're wrong, you're liquidated. If you're right, you you win.
0: And if you, the safer play then would be to stake your tether, your circle. Um, at any stage, because it's centrally pegged, let's um,
1: say I don't think there's I don't think we can really talk about safety in in the current stage of yeah. where we are with stable coins, specifically because the regulations are targeting stable coins. So I don't think anything about stable coins is safe. Yeah.
0: Did you have that school of thought in the past? I'm going, this is a strategy I could potentially do. And, and did that ever go out the window? You're like, oh, fuck that. That's way too risky anyways on staking a, a
1: stable coin. I always kind of had my reservations about Tether. I really liked die, but ultimately we got to go back to the fundamentals. And that's the fact that we're printing money. We're not allowed to print money, right? So th- there's going to be regulation to to stop that behavior.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so that fucking plans out the window. I was <laughs> I was kind of planning that, like maybe during this bear market. I feel we're getting close to the bottom, and I know you're 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 more focused on accumulation and and not even doing shit yet. It's still too early. I I feel we could go to. I mean, the proper pullback from an Ethereum high is what, 450, 475 ETH? That's like a 92% pullback. Okay, we could go there. But also based on current economic situation, it could be a 98. I mean, we could easily go down to 100 ETH. There's no, it's, it's not that far. We could go to double. Could we go to double-digit ETH? It's not that far-fetched because now it's like the perfect storm. Not only are we going through the bottom of the cycle, but you're also being hit by all this macro shit.
1: Yeah, you know, all of crypto has only existed in the context of an equity bull market. Correct. So, we don't have any data to support a theory as to how crypto will behave in the context of an equity bear market. So, we will have to see uh any price is possible. Everything on the face of the planet is worth as much as somebody's willing to pay for it. So, you know, the further down the chart you go, the less weight you should apply to its probability. So, you know, me talking about Bitcoin going to 3K is very improbable, but it's absolutely possible. It's it's much more probable that we stabilize at 10K or potentially 14K. That's much more probable and a lot more possible. Uh, but you know all of those prices are possible and the same thing applies to eth it's just a matter it's a spectrum of probability
0: yeah i'm, th- I'm honestly i think i think bitcoin will probably go to i think like 9598 so it'll just kind of break that 10 and scare the shit out of everyone i think
1: so i think that that's a, a possible
0: outcome. my my other fear is that the the one problem with the blockchain it's that companies like micro uh, microstrategy and your guys like michael Saylor, they're they're very public of where they get lev- where they get liquidated. If I'm a fucking whale in Bitcoin, I'm going to force you to your, you know, I'm going to strangle you to your liquidation point, liquidate you and buy all your stuff because it's public. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: do you think the whales are thinking like that at this stage? Oh, 100%. We have a market that's very, very illiquid and easy to move. And the spot market in crypto right now is basically the settlement house for the derivatives markets. Uh, futures and derivatives in crypto accounts for probably 10 times the volume of the spot markets. And uh, the spot markets are where the derivatives derive their value. So when you're in very illiquid scenarios and you're a whale, if you think that you can move the price 5% on an order book, all you need to do is just take the other side of the trade in the derivatives market and move it that 5%, liquidate everybody so you get a, a cascading liquidation if everybody's short or you get a cascading uh, liquidation to the downside if everybody's long... You make a killing, you make an absolute killing in the derivatives market. Yeah. You lost your money in the spot market, but the, the move was the derivatives.
0: Yeah. And they just, they've already set up the buy order on that, that, uh, the spike of the wick. Let's say they like, for example, uh, Celsius and was it three AC, yep. uh, Celsius, they keep moving their like liquidation point down. I think it was like 17, 18. And now they're like, okay, it's 14, 15. If I'm the whales, I'm pushing your head under the water till I drown Celsius put a buy order at 9.5 of XML and fucking grab the wick. Yep. So that's why I think we have a lot further to go. I think those whales have, th- these over leveraged exchanges are about to
1: get choked out. I think moving Bitcoin is hard. I don't think it's something that's very easy to do, especially when some of the bigger players like Three, o- Three Arrows Capital uh, have a lot of, you know, they might be taking on more loans to defend their, Liquid. It's, it's essentially a margin call. They're just defending that margin call. Um, you know, you got to be willing to go to bat. People in finance do like to, you know, throw their dick around and, and, you know, try and make these moves happen. But I think they're easier said than done, especially in the context of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are very liquid. We are in a small market, but moving Bitcoin isn't, isn't that easy and does require a lot of money and a calculated attack to do. It's not impossible, but it's, again, improbable. Yeah, and I, I guess it could be a...
0: I guess it's fine if it's on the blockchain. I mean, just risky, like, okay, I'm moving $50 million of Bitcoin. Is this? Is there any hack happening? What's going on?
1: What are my security codes? Like, well, the thing is, you need to attack multiple places to do it on Bitcoin. So you would have to attack Binance. You'd have to attack the Binance order book. You'd have to attack the FTX order book. You would have to attack the DeFi order book, and uh, you can't just do that on, on the DeFi, like take my Bitcoin and do a swap. You you can do it on DeFi, but any time that there is a discrepancy between exchanges, you create an arbitrage opportunity and then the arbitrage bots will correct that. So in order to get an effective ca- attack, you have to attack multiple places at the same time.
0: Yeah, they'll just buy up your Bitcoin anyways. Yeah. OK. Um, now we're going to talk about security before we jump into security. And I think we'll run through this pretty quick. How are we doing? Uh, probably hour 40. Okay. We'll rip through this part. I think in 10 minutes before we talk to security, um, I've listened to your podcast and kind of what you're doing and essentially you're, you're kind of, well, I'm just going to stack us dollar and I'll make my move. When do you make your move? What is that catalyst? What is that milestone that's going to trigger you to start accumulating? Um,
1: Sorry, specifically to Bitcoin, let's say. Specifically to Bitcoin. um, I need to see many months of just sideways. I need to see sideways. I need to see, typically when you're going into an accumulation, you'll have what's called a tightening of the spread, which means the volatility will get tighter and tighter and tighter and the candle size will will drop um, when i see a transition from a tightening of spread and this is you know something very visual that you would need to look at on a chart um, to an expansion um, and preferably an expansion with some sort of bullish narrative but not
0: like a bull trap
1: uh bull traps are well a bull trap would be a rally uh you know those are hard to avoid you have to have a okay i get your point so you're
0: looking for that tightening that sideways and then even if there is a a, a, it breaks out that's probably most likely we've started the bull run
1: potentially okay Uh, duration of time is really important so you know if we accumulate for a very long period of time um you have a higher probability of when we do break out, it's going to be a a successful breakout and uh, we can rally from that point. I also employ the use of, uh, you know, moving averages. Uh, We have a indicator that we use in the crypto jungle called alpha new metrics, which is based off of the late great, uh, the work of the late great Tyler Jenks and his consensio method, which is a very effective way to monitor a trend. Um, Not only does it help you with entries, but it also comes with a contingency plan. So if things don't actually go the way that you think they are, it's also going to flash a signal saying, "Okay, get out. These are those green diamonds. Uh, Green diamonds will indicate when things are very oversold red diamonds will be your take profit signals. But then we have bullish and bearish crosses, which are based off of moving averages.
0: Would you consider that uh, one of the bull traps we had recently in in the market, like when Ethereum dropped down to, I think, 2.5 or whatever, and it rocketed back up to 3.5 and it kind of looked like, okay, we're
1: getting a bit of a bull run. Was th- Is that considered a bull trap? That's a bull trap. Yeah. So... A bull trap is when you convince the market that we are ready to break all-time highs and you get people into long positions and you trap them because as soon as most of the market is bullish again, uh, the market will reverse and it's trapped a bunch of people that are in long positions. Who's manipulating the markets for that bull trap? Is that the whale setting up or is that natural? Uh, it's natural. I don't subscribe to manipulation in the in the Wyckoff method, we refer to this entity called the composite operator, the composite man, and the composite operator is just the collective decisions of smart money versus the collective decisions of dumb money. Price is decided by the order book, so I kind of wish I had a, a chart. Hint, yeah, yeah, but, that's <laughs> why we, we okay. <laughs> um, we'll but, make we'll make a reel for that for that yeah, clip. Yeah. But uh, yeah, price is decided by the order book, so you know the conclusion of the bull market happened at the end of 2020 all the whales took profit and there was no new volume going through so retail carried all of the price discovery beyond that point so when we dropped from 65 to 30 and then when r- we rallied from 30 to 70 that was just retail FOMO that was retail speculation and that was just you know yeah there wasn't much volume it, there wasn't much volume But you were able to move price because new traders and new investors and new people coming into crypto, they're not placing limit orders, which don't move price. They're placing market orders, which does move price. So when you stack market order upon market order upon market order, you get a large move and you can get a rally that is referred to as a dead cat bounce because there's no actual uh volume going through it it's it's just so the that order that rally
0: around. to 70 69k whatever 70k you would consider that a dead cap dead cap bounce yeah and then that took place i guess almost well uh we hit the bottom in may 2020 2021 and then, and then it kind of just stretched stretched out until month, november
1: three month accumulation yeah. and then it went on a rally to 70
0: yeah. okay um yeah, see, my plan is, oh, do you believe in the school of
1: thought of dollar cost averaging in a bear market? I do once we stop falling. So when you're in a downtrend, I, I typically tell people not to dollar cost average. Um, don't try to catch knives. Don't try and catch knives. Uh, you know, we have this buy the dip culture in crypto. I mean, it's in stocks too, you know, buy the dip, buy the dip. Uh, If you buy the dip in a downtrend, you're buying every dip as it keeps on going down and dipping and dipping and dipping and dipping. Mm. You buy the dip when it's sideways and you buy the dip when it's in an uptrend. Uh, Dollar cost averaging is best done sideways. Or if you are truly a very long-term accumulator of Bitcoin and your vision is, you know, I'm, I'm just stacking sats and I'm going to do this for you know, three bull markets and three bear markets, then it really does not matter. It really does not matter. So your dollar cost average strategy has to reflect your time horizons and your time horizons need to match what you think is realistic for your personality type. And they also have to match, um, well, again, to your personality type, the volatility tolerance that you can handle, which is, you know, it's volatile. It's hard to watch things rally a thousand percent and then retrace 90. Yeah, yeah. So dollar cost averaging is best done when you think you're at a floor. And then when it's, uh, when it's in a bull market, it's harvest time. You, know, you plant the seeds in the bear and you harvest during this, the, the good times. Yeah,
0: I'm trying to dollar cost average into Bitcoin at 20. I just think the levels are good. I also believe in, everyone says when there's blood in the streets, buy. But uh, this guy, Darius, I forget his last name. He's on Twitter. He's, he's got a, an investment company. I'll think of it later. Um, he's saying, yeah, there, when there's blood in the streets, buy. When you hear the fucking, inla- the 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 rings from the in- ambulance from the Fed, which means something has to be coming in to change it. Just because there's blood, don't just start buying. Don't fight the Fed. Yeah, don't fight the Fed. You're not going to win. Yeah. I, I personally believe that we're not out of the bear market until we tackle inflation. Meaning, like, we need to show... We, we need to get it back down to 3% and we're at eight and a half. I mean, if, if the next, at the end of July or the end of August, I think, I think there's an announcement at the end of the July. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but if, if inflation goes up on the net next announcement announcement, Holy fuck, Bitcoin's going down to fucking 12 for sure. So it's until I think we tackle that. Um, I, I don't think we've even hit the bottom and also you need to see some major exchanges get liquidated
1: Do you agree with that? Do you disagree? Or what are your thoughts? I more so just think that uh, if cash is more expensive, I focus more on the interest rates. The inflation is one thing because inflation is something that people panic about because things become more expensive and that hurts people on a day-to-day basis. So it creates narratives. But the reality is what you need to be focusing on is interest rates. And if the interest rates are going to continue to climb, the recession will... You know, the decline in, in global markets will continue to make lower highs and lower lows. Um, yeah. It's not until there is a halting of the interest rates increasing that you can then start thinking about asset prices uh, in terms of an investment going up again. But inflation, we have periods of inflation. Uh, things will adjust you know, people will get used to the new, the new prices. Employers will will have to pay more to their employees. That's always the last thing to come. But, you know, the world adjusts to inflation. Um, the important thing to know how to kind of, I guess, time the market is is paying attention to the interest rates. If we keep going up in interest rates, markets will decline.
0: Yeah, and I that's that's kind of what I mean as well. Because I, I, I kind of believe believe that. Inflation is coupled to interest rates, so as inflation comes down, interest rates are going to come down as well. Some people are speculating that interest rates will. There could be actually a, um, a decrease in interest rates, possibly by the midterms, just to kind of give the boost to the the president in that sense, and then right after hike them again. So I'm, I, I. It's very easy to buy an asset, and it's very difficult to sell. So I'm kind of on the sideline and i'm mentally preparing myself and stacking you know my liquidity for about q1 2023 this is kind of where uh, i'm gonna really start to look at the market and start to stack in that sense and then make a move um okay uh, I, I was gonna go down another rabbit hole um <laughs> now before we end uh and and a lot of these questions I, i'm quite new to crypto i'm one of these people that i, I saw it in 2012. But I'm not going to fucking cry about it. I, long story short, I was in China and went in a friend's house in 2012. And he had this Serbian guy mining Bitcoin. And there's fucking racks of video cards everywhere. 2012. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Bitcoin. All right. Yeah. That was it.
1: Internet money for nerds. Who cares? Oh, yeah,
0: you, I wouldn't even know the questions to ask then. Yeah. Like, and I was probably drinking and it was a party and this guy's hat. Wherever that guy is, I don't know. Send me some Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> if, if you see this, he wouldn't even remember that guy. I don't even, I can't even remember his face. And then the next time it came around was the, with a mutual friend when we moved to Phuket and we're like, yeah, 2016, he went in underneath, kind of spiked and crashed as it did. And I'm like, ah, and I just, during that accumulation phase, it was just so low. I'm like, it's dead. And then finally I got back into it uh, just with the NFTs and uh, fuck it. We're not going to talk about that. Um, that's something else. So the last question, and if you can, it's not so much a question is, uh, walk, if you can walk us through the process of, um, how to set up a wallet, both hot and cold storage and the protocol behind that in terms of handshakes and signatures, and, uh, again, focusing just on, let's say Bitcoin and, uh, Bring that all together with the uh, with the cold storage of Le- of uh, ledger and kind of just explain to the audience, you know, if you're purchasing, um, if you're purchasing Bitcoin from a central exchange and you want to get it to DeFi, what types of wallets, how many should you be using, what does what, and so on. And it was a bit long winded, but I think you get it.
1: Yeah, I think there's kind of two categories that you could be going down with this. Uh, there's Web three interaction so using stuff with solana using stuff with uh ethereum you know checking out all these websites so your
0: phantom uh your phantom wallet or or your your metamask Metamask.
1: yeah um so that approach you want to have three accounts so you'll have account one and anytime you set up a wallet you have like countless accounts as many accounts as you want you can have as many as you want uh but set up three accounts
0: but you can just use one 12 word password yes one
1: one pass one seed phrase for hundreds of accounts but we're going to use the the three account uh technique here the first account you're going to label untrusted apps and what you're going to be using this for is to connect to websites that you don't really know or trust uh or that are new to you first time connecting um, and you're also going to be using it for minting contracts and other nefarious stuff where a lot of people get scammed. Then you're going to have uh, trusted apps. That's account two. So account two is where you are going to maybe interact with staking, maybe interact with DeFi protocols um, or other Web3. Um, so like your uni swaps, your pancakes. Your swaps. uni swaps, your pancake swaps, your Aave, places where you're you know, play, playing with DeFi and stuff like that. Um, and then you're going to have your third account, which is when you connect a hardware wallet, and that's going to be your cold storage. So we'll use the the NFT as a as a as an example. So account one, you connect to this shady website, you know, connect your wallet here, and it's an NFT mint and whatever. You're you're being a, a DGEN and you mint your NFT. Uh, then you can send your NFT either to your account three old storage, if you're going to be holding it on, holding onto it for a while, or you're going to send it to account two for your trusted applications. So your, um, uh, OpenSea, or you're going to list it on looks rare or OpenSea or something like that. Um, so, you know, as long as you have that kind of sketchy account where you do all of the things that you just don't trust, there's a lot of things not to trust in crypto right now. Um, just have it separated. And then your hardware wallet, don't ever connect it. Don't connect. And this is, you know, I have not been the best with this either. This was actually brought to my attention just recently from another uh, uh, crypto enthusiast that it's really not best to give authorization, uh, spending authorization or, or reading authorization to uh, any Web3 app with your hardware wallet. Um, so that's that's your cold storage. And uh, yeah, that's how I would kind of head up, uh, set up a MetaMask With Bitcoin, it's a little bit more nuanced and it really depends upon your intent with how you want to hold your Bitcoin and how you want to spend your Bitcoin. But uh, if you're just going to buy and hold Bitcoin, any hardware wallet is fine. Ledger, Trezor, whatever you want, you know, just don't keep it on an exchange, put it on a wallet, don't lose your seed phrase, back it up somewhere, put it in two physical locations if possible that way if you know god forbid you have like a house fire or something you don't lose your your keys you lose those keys you're done um and then if you want to get a little bit more nuanced with that you can get some mobile wallets like uh, i could recommend if you're an iphone user using either green wallet or blue wallet uh that will give you a lot of uh Customization with how you spend your Bitcoin and keep track of your Bitcoin too, because sometimes you're going to be getting your Bitcoin from a centralized exchange like Coinbase. That Bitcoin is KYC'd, whereas if you know you might pay me some Bitcoin, that's non KYC'd. So you know you can you can actually label those two UTXOs inside of that um, that uh, wallet, and you can keep track of this Bitcoin is KYC'd, this Bitcoin is not KYC'd, and I don't know. There's a there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down
0: yeah i've I've always i think i was asking you about this uh at the beach the last weekend or the weekend before but um you you have these dials in in the nft space and your vote is dependent on how many of the nfts you you have so you need to therefore connect to vote and it could be something as a raffle for a giveaway to win something and obviously you want your nfts on cold storage you don't want to keep them on a metamask because it can be hacked to your computer whatever so the problem i'm i'm having is i'm scared shitless to do any voting anymore because i know i'm still going through like a multi-sig it's a trusted website but to place my vote but imagine just that 10 minutes that site's hacked and there's an open would you just say fuck it just never just don't vote
1: i think that that is a very valid problem that doesn't have a solution that's been effectively created yet yeah so um cold storage is your safest bet so if you're going to hold the nft in cold storage you're going to hold the nft in cold storage and you're not going to vote if voting is a priority for you then you're going to need an nft in your you know account to your trusted app and you're going to have to hope that you're not signing any spending privileges from that website or or anything like that so that you know nothing bad happens with that account so it's it's a problem
0: is there, there any itself. way to see when you're signing that it's giving access for them to take your shit? Like I've tried to read the code, but it's just like it's like hex uh, hexadecimal code or whatever. Yeah, That's um, where I get confused. sometimes.
1: Sometimes the developer will go the extra mile to create some readable text for you to say what this signature is actually signing, but sometimes it's not, and it's just you know a, a string of code. It's a string command. Um, so. You know, it's not. We're early days. We're too fucking early early. days. I'm telling you, there's a lot of shit that needs polishing, and that's why I won't vote on NFT. Even
0: if they're like, "Hey, we're giving a giveaway of twenty thousand dollars," and I have so many of these NFTs in the project, I'm just done. I'm like, I'm not signing shit anymore. It's in a vault it's just not worth it. And, and that kind of fucks up the whole concept of a DAO and voting because your, your NFTs are reliant on your DAO. And if you don't want to connect, how do you vote?
1: I think an elegant solution that uh, would be really simple is when you mint an NFT, you get two. You get the actual owner rights um, and then you get a vote. But then there's problems with that as well. You know, like, how you, can you sell your voting rights but holds the the NFT that gives you airdrop. I don't know.
0: There's, yeah. There's no, no
1: there's no clean answer for that one. And I'm sure
0: people behind the scenes are working oh, on this course. living in web in web three yeah. as well. Um, yeah. I, I had, um, and right before we finish, I'll give you my thoughts on NFTs and you can let me know if you've heard this or what you think. And my, and, and things are always changing for me, but I had this like kind of epiphany the other day. I don't think I heard it anywhere, but basically my thoughts of NFTs are that, one, it's the stock market for culture, and two, um, it allows you to invest in early, early be an earlier investor in someone you believe in. So you could take, for example, like V Friends Gary V. Well, he, he's obviously well known. However, NFTs weren't at that time for V Friends one. So the benefits that you got by being the early investor in V Friends is well, you get all this free access to V Friends two, and obviously he could do V Friends three, and it will trickle down. But V Friends one is giving you the most perks and most benefits. I think that could be the added value. So you know how um, there could be a singer, a rapper, a star, or whatever, but you want to be the one. Like I saw their first movie. I've been a follower since the beginning. NFTs in the blockchain will prove that conversation point, and it allows you to invest in them very early. And that artist doesn't need a roadmap or perks because they can build it. But you're saying, you know what, you're minting an NFT at a hundred bucks. Maybe that's what you're worth at that time. Maybe if you want to charge a thousand, that's great. But I'm going to invest in you as long as you don't rug pull me and just go off with my money. Well, then I failed. You failed me as that person I believed in, but I'm going to watch you grow. So it'd be like investing in, I'm not a fan of Drake, but as an example, Uh, investing in drake when he first came out with little wayne or something i don't even know how the fuck i know that probably listened to rap back in the day but that that type of story um being able to say i was i was a fan of them before anyone of them known that that's proven on the blockchain and they're able to give back to me because i got in early is that something you've heard heard of before
1: yeah those types of uh you know Proof of attendance—that's uh, a POAP, and I actually forget the what that acronym stands for, but it's basically an NFT. It's just a token that you would receive at a certain event. But yeah, there's—I mean, there's countless applications for NFTs. Really, really, there are so many applications of NFTs. But one of the simplest ways to kind of make sense of NFTs is it gives the opportunity of a creator of anything to just have a direct connection to the consumer. So whether you're McDonald's wanting to issue McDonald's coupons to drum up business or whether you are, you know, Justin Bieber giving backstage passes to a select number of people. The amount of money that's wasted in marketing is huge because you are just throwing a bunch of money at marketing to put a product in front of the eyes of, you know, thousands and thousands of people in hopes of, you know, making 1% converting one percent into a sale whereas with nfts you know who your customers are you know exactly who your clients are and you you don't need an email you don't need any of that and you're able to airdrop them value and and create tangible value in their life i don't know there's
0: internet uh what is it a internet funny money digital fun internet money or whatever i mean it still is that at the end of the day that's that's why i got into the the dolce and Gabbana. it's pretty much the name and it's kind of uh what you were saying before like the u.s dollar the u.s dollar can print because it's america it's literally it could print a piece of shit stamp on it and there, there's still value and that's kind of what i believe in some of these nfts dolce cabana could come up with an nft picture of literally a piece of shit and put the word number dg on it and it will fucking sell yeah that's just the shitty world we live in um <laughs> great okay now we're just going to wrap it up so i'm going to shoot it back to this camera for you and if you want to just let everyone know where they can find you on youtube and also uh with your website and some of the indicators that you're
1: you're offering and uh shill away (laughs) yeah so you know if you want uh to tune into the crypto jungle on youtube that's where the majority of my audience is um I'd be happy to have you as a subscriber. I also stream to Twitch uh, at uh, Baloo the Bear and then uh, Twitter, also Baloo the Bear on Twitter. And uh, yeah, uh, join me in the Discord. The Discord is really where we kind of have the most um, interaction with the community. So if you're not already on Discord and you're in crypto, get on Discord. Everybody who is in crypto is on Discord. And uh, that's where a lot of the valuable conversations take place.
0: So, I'll yeah. put a, I'll put a link to your Discord in the YouTube description. That's the beginning of the marketing funnel, so get in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, get in the Discord. Um, I think, let us know in the comments, is there anything we didn't cover? Hans looks like he's about to blow his brains out. Hans, were you drinking last night? Yeah, you were. Don't lie to us. Anyways, um, that wraps it up, and we're out. Okay.